If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to Q&A. I'm Jay Nordlinger, and this podcast is brought to you by Quip, the electric toothbrush. I'll have more to say about Quip later in the show, but if you'd like to get a jump and a discount for that matter, go to getquip.com slash QA. I'm in Rockdale, Texas with Kevin Williamson. We're in the office of Mike Brown, who is the editor of the Rockdale Reporter. And he's one of my favorite journalists, one of my favorite writers in America. I've known him for a long time. And we're going to talk today about Mike's life and career and this newspaper and newspapering in general. I've never had the privilege of working for a newspaper, at least full time. I've contributed to newspapers. But of course, that's been Mike Brown's life. And Kevin Williamson has some experience at newspapers as well as magazines, too. So, gentlemen, hello. Hello, Jay. Thank you. Mike, um, were you born in Rockdale or are you an interloper and foreigner? I was actually born in Alvin, which is south of Houston. Uh, in fact, there's a rather famous baseball player from Alvin that some of you might know named Nolan Ryan. Huh. But we came up here. My father was a minister and he was building a church here and building a home, pastor church. And we came here when I was two. And I've uh, been here ever since. Were you the kind of kid who reads the newspaper as I was? The, 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 the height of my happiness was reading the newspaper with my grandfather and talking over the affairs of the world. Yes. In fact, we took the old Houston Press. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But it was a scandal sheet. Uh, if it bleeds, it leads. And it would get here two or three days late in the mail. And I would devour every minute of it. This is the non-internet days, and I would have to wait two or three days to find out if my baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds, won their game three nights previously. But I, I grew up reading the Houston Press and the Rockdale Reporter, which is a newspaper of some, some esteem then. And I did, I did that, did not dream I would end up working for a newspaper. But it's, it's, as Jay said, it's been my life, and it's been a most rewarding, rewarding thing to do. Why the Cincinnati Reds? I was just going to say, yeah. If there's any Presbyterians listening, they will know it was predestined. Uh, I just became a Reds fan, and I'm a very avid Reds fan. And uh, the fact that I will still say that after the last three years uh, to show you how dedicated I am as a Reds fan. Kevin, were you the kind of – did you read the newspaper as a kid? I did, yeah. Um, When I was a youngster in Lubbock, we still had a morning and evening paper, and – at that time, newspapers were just sort of ubiquitous. My my household, there were not real big readers for the most part. It wasn't a house full of books or anything, but um, got both newspapers. And uh, yeah, I've been reading it for as, as long as I could remember. So yeah, I learned to read from the from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Really, I could I suppose I could read before I started school, and uh, that's it was the first thing I, I did. Yeah. 
I have a memory, guys, of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Something or when he was nine or ten, I think he started his own newspaper or magazine. It was called the Twentieth Century, and he did all the writing. He did uh, local news, world news, book reviews. I think there might have been a horoscope. I'm not sure. There was advertising. He made it all up. He just created his. And I, Mike, and I were talking earlier, Kevin, that um, I loved the whole newspaper. Still, do as a package, the news the ads even, the movie reviews, the book reviews, the comics, the crossword puzzle, every f- aspect of it. I remember reading about Ronald Reagan as a child, recalling that he would read the newspaper with his father and that he could not tell you when he learned to read. It Just at some point, the letters moving under his father's fingers became words, and that's how he remembers. Huh, I never experience. heard that. I, I'd seen that somewhere. So I am the only person in this room. Got that little sentence, like being in an airport. Yeah, police wire, it's a newspaper office. Yeah, it adds adds authenticity. So I was working at the Daily Text, and we got a call via scanner really late one night, and it was the cops saying they had a car pulled over the side of the road, and there was a elderly gentleman passed out in the back, and he said, "It looks like," and he's, "Oh hell, it's Willie Nelson." <laughs> <laughs> well. A small town, I, I will know some of the things that come over the scanner, and I, I don't think the, the gentleman will mind me telling this story, but the new intermediate school, when it was built about 10 years ago, they kept, I kept hearing the words, Walter R. Pond, Walter R. Pond, and I, Walter Pond was the superintendent, former superintendent, said, what in the world are they stopping him for? Well, the street that goes to the school was named for him. Oh. So every time they would stop somebody in that street, it would be Walter Arpon. So I kid him about that. Yeah, it, um, it sounds like a career criminal. That's right. <laughs> I spoke one time to a, a small town police superintendent, and he was saying his town was small enough that they actually had usual suspects. <laughs> like if something if something happened in town, he'd be like, ah, it sounds like Larry. That's and right. I'm going to go talk to him about it first. Mike, did you go to Rockdale High? Yes, I did. I went to I went to Rockdale High School in the '60s. Graduated in what I've referred to as the apocalyptic year of 1968, and headed for the University of Texas, a place that I understand Kevin had some dealings with. Also. I, I was going to tell the people I'm the only person in the room who didn't go to the University of Texas. I feel left out with you, uh, Longhorns. You, you, know, you didn't miss all that much. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't. Miss I don't all know. That much. It turned 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 out that two of you. Did you play football in high school? No, I didn't. I didn't. I did, however, Baseball? play. No, no. But but I played chess. I was once thrown out of the library for playing chess too loudly. Um, <laughs> that's a story that we can go into some other time. But, Let's go into it. But it was... <laughs> In trigonometry class, a friend of mine, who's gone on now, had a portable chess set. And every once in a while, the teacher would just get fed up with us and give us a free period. So we sat there playing chess and it's so loud we couldn't hear. So we asked if we could go down to the library and play chess, figuring it would be quiet. So we gingerly moved the board and the pieces down and we're engrossed in that. And we hear from across the library, the librarian, who was one of these dear ladies who believed the proper place for a book was on the shelf. And there was, there's no reason ever to take it off. We heard her, what are you boys doing down there? And we looked. She said, you can't do that in here. You're disturbing the whole library. Well, we looked around, and the library had obviously been disturbed. People were <laughs> looking at it. She said, you take this out of here. So we took it out of here, and I remember we got about three steps. There were steps right out, and we tripped and spilled the entire, the entire thing. Oh, no. And 
much later, there was a chess club at Rockdale High School, and I remember going to cover it, and they held their matches in what was now the library. So I felt vindicated and uh, <laughs> said a few words to the, the spirit of the dear departed lady. So okay. were you the valedictorian of your Oh, class? Oh, no, 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 I was, I was not the valedictorian. And how many miles is it here? Uh, how many miles is it from here to Austin? Interesting, because when I was in high school, we would tell everybody 60 miles from here to Austin. And I measured it the other day, city limit to city limit. It's 48 miles. And I'll guarantee you, Rockdale hasn't grown, but Austin <laughs> definitely has. Did your parents drive you to college your, so your first day, your freshman year? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. You checked well, into a dorm? Brackenridge Hall on the University of Texas. Built, uh, built uh, sometime after the Civil War, but not much later. Not much later. <laughs> so you didn't have the experience of living in Jester, the uh, horrible uh, prison-like uh, dorm they, with its own zip code. They built Jester while I was there, yeah. and I had a, one of my first classes at Jester. Uh, but it was quite a... It was, was it a penology class? Or? <laughs> <laughs> the architect at the time described it as... as mimicking rolling Italian hills. And I made up my mind uh, at that point not to go to the hill country of Italy. Mm. So Mike, you were, in, you were in love with the written word and with the sound of la language, the sound of English. Just I, like Kevin, you two are two English majors at UT. I, yes, I enjoyed the language. I enjoyed kind of playing with the language as my friends or former friends will tell you I like to make puns, uh, some better than others. But it's 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 magic, and uh, I, I'm I'm glad that very early on, I'm sure we'll get into this later, that I found National Review to show me what what the written word could could be and should be handled. No, hang on, I'm going too fast. Did was there a high school newspaper for you to work on? I don't believe there was. That was one of the there was a, a paper called Tiger Tales, but it it came and went, and I don't think okay that that I. I did, you, you mentioned Souls and Eats, and I did at one point put out, hand-scrawled a, a parody called the, ironically, Rockhead Reporter, in which I reported fake news well before it came into the, the lingo. Mm -hmm. And I recall getting in some rather interesting conversation with my civics teacher about it. When I left the football team to be the editor of the Lubbock High School newspaper, my coach said, well, what the hell are you going to do with that? <laughs> what have you, by the way? Uh, I, told him, I told him I didn't think I was going to play football for a living. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So UT, Austin, and you're plugging along, and I think you have conservative leanings. Yes. Uh, and then what? tell me about National Review. I was a, a kid from a very small town thrust into the middle of the University of Texas in 1968, uh, we had the year of the barricades. The year of the barricades, the year of moratoria, nineteen seventy, Kent State. It was an interesting time, to say the least. I was working at the UT undergraduate library and I was shelving periodicals. And I remember coming up on this magazine that had a blue border around it, and I looked at it and it was National Review, and I started to look inside and I thought one, these people think like I do, and two, this is some really good writing. That's where I discovered uh, National Review, and I've, I've not been without it since, uh, either online or in, in print media. I subscribed, and I remember quite distinctly getting my first two issues in the mail. They were non-consecutive, and the cover of one had been almost torn off. I think this was probably 
just an error by the post office and not some troll somewhere, although we've talked about uh, even 1970, uh, Austin, it might have been. But National Review showed me what good writing could be and also that, that it was more than craftsmanship. It was it was uh, it needed spark. It needed life. And I appreciate that very much. Uh, Bill Buckley was maybe the least dull writer. Uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely wrote, read everything he ever wrote. Uh, you talked about some of the books, especially the unmaking of a mayor. Well, we were talking about, earlier, ladies and gentlemen, that's what, that's what Mike means. Yeah. yeah. Uh, devoured everything that he wrote. And he came to UT and I got to hear him speak. And of course, in, in person, he was every bit, it was, it was, you could be conservative and be cool. And that was a big, that was a big thing. What was the turnout for him? It packed the old Gregory gym. Uh, there was standing room only. That was oh. during a year in which some of the other speakers were people like Abby Hoffman and uh, definitely not of, of the conservative persuasion. But it was a, it was a good, good formative experience for, for me. And I've, I've, uh, the writers I remember, we talked about Keith Mono, Frank. Frank Burnham, uh, John Greenway, a professor of anthropology, uh, who uh, during the beginnings of the environmental movement said, um, we use words like ecology because ignorant sounds better when you say it in Greek. Mm-hmm. And, and if somebody who could turn a phrase like that, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was, that's, that was, as we would call a teachable moment, as some people would say. Were you, um, I'm using contemporary language, were you an out conservative on campus or did you Keep it on the down low. I wasn't very political, and I'm still really not political. So I didn't go to rallies, and I didn't I didn't participate in Young Americans of Freedom or anything like that. You've got to understand that I was really going to college on a shoestring, and I was trying to to get a degree and and get through. So I probably had had my life to live over would have been a little bit more forthright, something like that. I certainly admired the people who were. But uh, no, I was... You're a journalist. You're a real journalist. You're not an activist. Well, that's a, that's a nice word. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even a nerd. I was like nerd third class. But, <laughs> uh, but I got through it. I got, I got a degree. I got a degree, and to show you where my head was, I didn't attend my own graduation because I was coaching a baseball game that night. So there were other things on my mind. What happened after college? After college, I... Did a few things, didn't really have a job. And in, in 1973, I had intended on majoring in astronomy in, in college because I have three telescopes and had ended up having four. I was very interested in that. And when I got into that, I, I didn't really want to do all the math and physics, although I certainly enjoyed the physics, and switched to English. And that's where, once again, I reunited with the, with, the, with the word. In fact, so many of my professors to start out with were actually from the United Kingdom. And that's something I didn't, I didn't enjoy when I grew up. I enjoyed that. And I was introduced to Shakespeare and Chaucer and, and Milton and great poets. My, my favorite poet is, is Yeats, Irish poet. And it was, it was something that, that I, I enjoyed immensely. And I also was exposed to two things I didn't ever think would help me, classical civilizations and geography. But I, I, I really enjoyed both of, both of those. So when I get out, the first thing I do is several, several things that are not worth mentioning here. But in 1973, a comet named Kohotek 
came around and it was hyped, probably the most hyped comet. We don't do a real good job science reporting in, in the press sometimes. Uh, and I, boy, I thought this is going to be something. So I, I called up the reporter, which had a tremendous reputation, a small town community paper. And I asked, can I write you a story about Comet Kohotek? And the lady who answered, whom I later worked with, was so supportive. She said, what the hell is that? And I explained it to her. And, and I, I got to talk to the publisher, wonderful, wonderful man named Bill Cook, who taught me everything about journalism that I know. And he let me write a story. So I did. I wrote the story. And they liked it. And I kept writing freelance stories for them, feature stories. And in June of 1974, this town had its centennial. And I was hired part-time to cover the centennial, which was a two-week-long party. Uh, very, very much going on. And I, I wrote and took pictures and covered that. And the next week, they hired me on full-time. And I'm still here. All that time later, 45 years. And you became editor in? 1998. So I've been editor for 21 years. And before that, you were a reporter, news, staffer. News, I was a reporter, staffer, news editor, delivered papers, swept the floor, whatever needs to be done, gets done. And there are more people like that than you would, you would think in small papers. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, one in, in Silverton, Colorado, named Mark Esper, who does a fantastic job with a little community newspaper I've read his, his stuff, and it's excellent. So uh, lots of us, and good job, Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to talk about newspapering. That's going to be led by Kevin. This is Jay Nordlinger doing Q&A, along with Kevin Williamson and Mike Brown, who's the editor of the Rockdale Reporter here in Milam County, Texas. Back after this word from our sponsor. Well, I'm going to talk about Quip, Q-U-I-P, the electric toothbrush. It's a fine and helpful piece of equipment. And now the whole family can get refreshed with Quip. The new Kids Quip has the same two-minute timer and guiding pulses as the original version with no childish gimmicks. Your youngsters can brush like grown-ups. Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's especially gentle on sensitive gums. Quip has that built-in two-minute timer which pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth evenly. The multi-use cover works as a stand, mounts to mirrors, and slides over your bristles to pack and protect your quip on the go. Plus, there are no wires or clunky charger. This baby runs for three months on a single charge. Speaking of three months, Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule, which is every three months. That happens for just $5. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. Quip has been a sponsor of Q&A for a long while, and I've received many happy testimonials. I can give them myself. Quip takes some of the work out of brushing, some of the drudgery out of it. It's kind of a kick to buzz away. And as I keep saying, the brush looks good. Beauty isn't everything when it comes to this task, but it's a bonus. Speaking of bonuses, Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com QA right now, I'll repeat that, of course, 
you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash QA. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash QA. Welcome back, everyone, to Q&A. I'm Jay Nordlinger, sitting with my colleague, Kevin Williamson, in Rockdale, Texas. We're at the Rockdale Reporter, the newspaper here, a weekly in the office of the editor, who is Mike Brown. And this newspapering business, I'm, I'm glad this newspaper is still with us. And um, it seems, uh, I know I'm conservative and therefore prone to nostalgia. The idea of a newspaper, a real newspaper, is something that still excites me. Kevin, you talk to Mike about newspapering and what the heck it takes. Didn't know I was going to be co-hosting, Jay, so I'm not, uh, <laughs> not prepared for this. But um, we were we were talking a little earlier at lunch about some of the uh, you know business issues that come up with running a, a small town newspaper, and especially uh, in, in Rockdale, I guess, where your um, major employer Alcoa is not here anymore, and the economy is not super strong. Uh, but in some ways, maybe you're a, a little better off in some of the places because you're not really close enough to a lot of other things to have a lot of direct competition. Um, so I guess you get some of the you know, grocery stores and the car ads and stuff you were saying. I think the, the really invaluable thing that little newspapers do, weekly newspapers do, is that um, you know even if the Austin American Statesman had a bureau up here or something, they still wouldn't cover the stuff you're going to cover, you know, because you can cover every planning and zoning board, chicken dinner, school board. Um, all that kind of stuff. And people really ultimately do need to know that stuff, even though a lot of them don't know that they need to know it. There used to be a motto here, the only newspaper in the world that cares about Rockdale. And and that's the way it is with the community paper. That community is not just an adjective. There's it's, a lot of meaning in that slogan. There is. There, there is. Yeah. We do that. If you want to know if your kid scored in the junior high basketball game or if the turkey shoot at the American Legion is Sunday, by the way, it is. So come on. <laughs> and that kind of, of hand-in-glove approach. And we try to tell people this whenever we get asked out, that we are members of the community, too. It is a, it's a different kind of I can approach I can approach people as, as friends and neighbors, and I don't necessarily have to use the journalist subject approach. And they know that. And, and they feel like they're invested in it. I guess the Today's term would be shareholder, that they think this is their newspaper. And we try to refer to it as their newspaper. Isn't it dicey, though, Mike, um, it, because you, you risk offending people and you see them in the street and in the local restaurant and so on. It, it must occasionally be awkward. Sometimes it is, but the reputation we have, I, I think I can speak for that. They know we try to be fair, uh, and we do. We, uh, we all don't shy away from things. We've certainly tackled some tough issues over the over the years and don't shy away from that. And we do have some real news here. But people seem to understand, at least at this point, I think when you see polls that say how people don't trust the press, that's certainly understandable. And everybody in this room can cite you chapter and verse of some of the reasons why. But this is a different level Uh as we're sitting here talking, I'm hearing the bell, the door rings. Somebody comes in. That's people coming in to buy the newspaper because that's what they do on Wednesdays. And they've done that for a very long time. And it's a, it's a trust situation. And I, I know that we hope to earn that trust. I think we have earned that trust. We want to keep on earning that trust. 
You ever had a had to have a story in the paper about a member of your family or a friend or something being dragged off to jail or embarrassing things like that? Or not a member of my family, but certainly people that I know and yeah. and like and have been friends with, and we try to treat them the same way. Uh, there was an instance I won't name names where where a prominent person was was arrested on a, a very serious charge. And we did cover it as, as exactly as we would cover anything else. And what's interesting that we talked about, this is the only newspaper that cares about Rockdale. Someone called a daily paper and said that they weren't, that the local people weren't covering the story for some reason. And of course we, we did, we treated it like any other. Uh, that's, that's kind of strange to understand. I think that was a product of our, our digital age where maybe since everyone online is their own reporter and editor and publisher, that they kind of maybe thought this wasn't like they would have covered it, but it's certainly how we would have covered it with anyone else. You get people wandering off the street telling you the local Elks Lodge is a cover for an Al-Qaeda cell, that sort of thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, our Elks Lodge is, by the way, we've taken care of that. <laughs> we don't have an Elks Lodge and that's the truth. But anyway, pause for shutter. But... We do. We see. I ask people, do we have, does everybody have these odd people in their town? And I think everybody does. But yes, we have, we have gotten people coming in saying outrageous things and raising their voices. And that's rare. That's very rare, thank goodness. Actually, one of those people uh, got, got us a, a break on a, on a big scoop one time. And I'll tell you how it happened. It was Wednesday. We'd already put the paper to bed. And we're sitting at the coffee table. The pages had been mailed. And a gentleman came in who, like, we don't want to get him started or anything. He came in and sat down at the coffee table with us. So I politely excused myself, came in and sat down at my computer. And I had an email from an Austin district judge that he had just issued the order that let the Sandow 5 power plant be built right there. I would not have seen that had I not fled from this gentleman. <laughs> I was able to get the paper stopped. I wrote a quick story. We had it that day instead of a week later. Nice. So eccentrics, thank you. Sometimes you play a great role. <laughs> and, of course, eccentric is just what degree of eccentricity that we choose to tolerate. Did you actually get the chance to yell stop the presses? No, I'm like Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan said that he's, uh, he was so old that they used to run in and go stop the chisels. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> What's the, typical, what's the typical news day look like around Rockdale? A typical news day could be any anything, as you know. Uh, we've, we've had a, a rash of terrible fatalities, as opposed to good fatalities. We had a rash of fatalities. Well, some area. people had a kind. Uh, that's right. <laughs> well, that's, that's metaphysics. This is here on the ground <laughs> trying to do a podcast with Jay. Uh, Wednesday, this is Wednesday. I'll take you through a week quickly. Wednesday, I will start doing the editorial page, right? Get a column, an editorial together and, and do some preliminary work. If I need to do an interview, I'll do that. Thursdays, it ramps up a little bit. I'll try to have two or three pages done Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I, by the time I get to Monday, I'll, I'm being already in, in sprint mode because whatever I haven't got done Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, I will start doing Monday and start putting the paper together. There's organizations, there's obituaries, there's all the photos, I try to get a good start on the front page. And then Tuesday is when we pull it all together. At any time during this process, it could change if something happens. There have been fires, there have been wrecks, there have been stories, big stories break. So 
at any time I'd be prepared to throw it out. I always, I would tell people when I talk to kids and they ask about taking photos, I said, one of the key things about going on a photo assignment is, is have an idea of what you want to take and then be prepared to abandon it if something better comes along. So many, so many photos are like that. If you have set in your mind what you think you're going to take and you're still looking for that one photo and something spectacular happens and you don't do it. Well, that's, that's kind of, kind of like how a newspaper, you have this idea of how the pages are going to go. That's going to be planned. And then something happens and you have to blow it all up. It happened two weeks ago. Uh, it happened to a certain extent this morning when something came in and didn't expect, but it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of the way of the business is. And you have to learn to do that. It's life its own self, as that's, the late Dan Jenkins would that's say. That's exactly right. Did you happen to know the late Ron Gibson when you were down at the University of Texas? He would have been a student around the same time. Red Gibson? Ron Gibson. Oh, no, no, Red Gibson. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, Red guy. Gibson. I have Ron Gibson. I don't. Ron has a, a funny story about when he first started working in newspapers as a young man. He was in Lincoln, Nebraska, I guess. And there was a guy there who was this old, you know, wizened reporter who had covered a bunch of presidential campaigns and was it was a very big deal. And Ron was probably 16 and just, you know, getting started in the guy calls him over one day and, and imparts some wisdom. And so, you know, Ron's just ready to write this down. It's, uh, you know, words of wisdom from the great man. And he says, you know, Ron, when you're out on the, out on the road covering a story, don't ever order the Swiss steak. <laughs> <laughs> you got no idea what's underneath that gravy. <laughs> Whitaker Chambers, who is maybe a witness, uh, he worked at Time, and he was in what they would not have called a cubicle back then, but he didn't know how well he was doing. If any any prose he was writing was striking a chord for, for months. And finally, one day a junior editor came in and, and, and looked at his face and Chambers said, finally, I'm going to get some criticism, constructive or otherwise. And the man said, Chambers, we spell out numerals up to 10 and then use numerals and left. And that's all we heard. <laughs> Brass tacks. And my first conversation with Jay Northern was approximately like that. <laughs> Well, you have to be taught. I, I'll say again, I had the best teacher, Bill, Bill Cook. Um, best thing I've ever done is, is try to adopt his standards. And those are the standards of the Cooks and the Cook family uh, are, are certainly non-pareil. And, and like, like, like Gracho said, I, I learned this. Uh, Gracho said in Horse Feathers when he was a transient college student, he said, just remember, this college was here before you came. It'll be here before you leave. That's the way I feel about a reporter. Did you uh, memorize the AP style book when you were? Uh, it's right behind right you. Behind it, it's yeah. somewhere right behind you. I did, did the best best we could with that. Actually, Bill wrote a, a kind of reporter style book, which uh, I used a lot and hopefully have, have committed up here. But yes, we use the AP style book. What are your other go-to references daily? National Review, <laughs> just for the writing. <laughs> Uh, I, I look at, uh, believe it, uh, this is me. I look at Sky and Telescope magazine. I look at several newspapers. Uh, uh, whatever newspaper uh, t town I visited most recently, I'm, I'm just now getting off of the Anchorage newspaper because we were in Alaska. Oh, yeah. But I, I love to, to get a, a variety of things like that. Um, do you look things up in a physical dictionary or you do it online? I do it online. You do it online. I do it online. We have physical dictionaries, but but those hurt when your wife throws them at you. <laughs> yeah. You you write uh, news stories. You write obits. You have written sports in your life. Mm -hmm. Gardening, crime. What else is there in a newspaper? 
organizations. I've, I've, a lot of that is editing. People will send things in that need to be edited, and boy, do they need to be edited. Mm. Uh, Kevin, Kevin will tell you about that. There are people who I, I, I think probably would rather go without oxygen than exclamation points. Uh, we, I think the record I've seen in one story is something like 23. Mm. Uh, it's a lot of excitement. It's a lot of excitement, <laughs> and, and especially what they use it to. If if registration uh, for a, a gardening event deserves three exclamation points, then then what does an actual, you know, multiple murder deserve? Yeah, man landing on the moon. Man landing on the moon, right? Oh, what? The humanity. That's right. That's right. I an editor one time told me I get one exclamation point a year. That's right. There you go. <laughs> I hope my cousin isn't listening because she does it in emails. But anyway. Hmm. Don't, 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 many don't, of us, don't mention it. Yeah, don't mention it. Well, well, we often, no, I was going to, we, we often use emails, uh, beg your pardon, exclamation points in emails. J.R. Mutual uh, acquaintance Seth Lipsky once told me that um, he wanted me to get a signed permission slip from him before I attempted to use an adjective. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let me ask you too, um, or Kevin can ask Mike about the economics of a newspaper. Um, probably not a happy subject. Oh, well, uh, some of them are, you know. Um, well, they're weird. New York it, Times is going great guns, New York right? Times is doing well. Wall Street yeah. Journal is doing well. Some small-town papers are doing well. Small-town papers used to do really well. Um, when I was running little suburban newspapers outside of uh, Philadelphia, our little group of newspapers made a lot of money. Um, it made, you know, it was a seven-figure profit, eight-figure annual profit, I guess. Um, that was an unusual community, and our largest display advertiser was a jeweler very high-end uh, jeweler. Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, that was I was at the very end, you know, at the sort of beginning of the 21st century, 2000, 2001, when there were still classifieds and before all that sort of, you know, Armageddon happened. Yeah. So how are, things, how are things going financially? They could be better. We're, we're hanging in there. Uh, you just don't lose your biggest employer and then you lose your second biggest employer uh, 10 years later. I'm talking about Alcoa and then the power industry, which – which fell victim to a series of economic circumstances, including the wind power coming on the market and, and being government subsidized. I explain the economics of a newspaper. I have to explain the economics of a newspaper to people because most people don't understand the relationship with advertising and, and news. I, I ask, I tell kids, what is, what is news? What's your definition of news? And I'll get a lot of things, a lot of them good. Uh, a lot of them colored by Watergate era. And I say a news is in a newspaper is the stuff that goes around the ads. That when you don't have ads, you don't have newspapers. And that's something that's hard to get over. Uh, where it's no secret we have fewer pages than we used to because the ads are harder to come by. And our ad folks work very hard. And we have some fantastic advertisers. Uh, we have people in, in banking and we have people in automobiles and we have people in real estate and we have people that that are, are in there every week. And if once in a while an election will come along, we'll get political advertising. So mm-hmm. that's what we always hope that we have a lot of contests to do. But we're kind of looking to find our niche right now. We talked about a while ago, there's some some things are happening here. We've had a a Bitcoin cryptocurrency business come in the former Alcoa smelter and put what they call ant mining machines in to mine Bitcoin. And here, if I was really mean, I would say, now Kevin will explain what that is because <laughs> I don't think, I think a few of us know what it is, but I'm not one of those people. But the point is it's repurposing that industry 
and the Alcoa property out there is prime piece of property. It has water rights. It has a lake. It has a lot of things going for it, reclaimed land. And at some point, something's going to come in there. And we're just hoping that it's it's uh, job maximizing for this for this town because that will help. And once it turns over, this is a place that is right in the middle of, of Texas largest cities. The Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth is to the north. We have Houston to the southeast. We have Austin, San Antonio, which has just about become one city growing together to the southwest. So we're in a great, great shape as far as geography goes. Now we we just need to put pedal to the metal some way. Mike, is the is the Rockdale reporter in a sense a, a relic? Are you the last of the Mohicans? And nothing wrong with papers online. I that's the way I read mainly. Um, there are certainly less than it used to be, but I, I like to think the ones that are really good uh, are continuing. I know they're continuing. We're having a, a South Texas Press Association convention in a couple of weeks, and we will see other publishers, editors, newspaper folk from other communities who are, are also hanging in there and are doing really well. And there are some really, really good ones in, in that in that region. It's the, it's the largest by membership regional press association in the United States. So we're still here. I'm, nobody will tell you that, that it's, it's like it was. I, we, I showed you gentlemen the, the bound files and how they have become well, progressively thinner and thinner, which reflects the advertising for a year. My grandmother, who lived to be 97, right in the middle of Kansas City, when I first got a job, uh, as a, in the newspapers, she lived through the depression, and and those folks see things differently than certainly our gener- my generation and the subsequent ones do. She said, "I'm so glad Mike's working for a newspaper. They kept going right through depressions, and I, huh. I thought that was a, a bit of wisdom yes. there, and and I appreciated that. So I'm 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 hanging in there with my late grandmother. <laughs> Wonderful. It must be very satisfying." to have a career in a newspaper, editing the newspaper, being in touch with everyone and everything. Um, that's, that's It's quite a way to live. It is extremely satisfying. It's a lot of work, but it's extremely satisfying. Uh, for one thing, you know, they, they know where I live and they're not afraid to, to come to my house. And <clears throat> there's a certain sweetness almost in that. I always said that when I look back on these 45 years, the very best thing about them has been all the people that I got to meet and know and sometimes know well and befriend that I would never have gotten to meet any other way because it's so varied. I mean, I've met uh, engineers and I've met scientists and I've met farmers and I've met people that I'm taking their kids picture at the fair. And I've met people who keep bringing their kids to dance class. I've met people... I have their kids' pictures in a little league. In fact, one of the wonderful things about that is at least three different times I can tell you that we've identified people in photos who were sitting in the bleachers at sporting events and asked them who these kids were on the field because I recognized them. I don't think that happens at, at the uh, New York Times or the Houston Chronicle, mm-hmm. but, it, but it happens here. And I, I, I really do cherish that. Sometimes if I could get a little, I told you Yates was my favorite poet, if I could get a little Irish mystical on you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be leaving for going to Kansas City or something in the late, early in the morning. And I'll, I'll drive through this county and I'll look off and there will be a, a light at a farmhouse in the distance. And I will think, I may know the person who lives there. They may know me. 
I may, I could drive down these roads and there will be people who might know me, might know my name. But the minute I cross that county line, that stops. It's, it's a sense of place. And, and that's kind of nice to have. And, and I, it is very enriching. You might have that light on because he's reading your newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But a light of his cell phone, probably. Right, yeah. Yeah. Let's hope he's a full-price subscriber. That's right. You're a very patriotic person, aren't you, Mike? Yes. And I'm, yes. You like the musical 1776. Yes. I was talking about that the other day. Uh, that's right. You were. Someone wrote you and said the, the song that John Adams sings at the end, near the end, does anybody see, is anybody there? Mm -hmm. And the context is, it doesn't look like this is going to fly. There's all kinds of problems with, with even declaring independence. Is this going to be a nation or not? And Adams looks in the future and, and, and sees things. Says, does anybody see this? Do you see fireworks on the 4th of July? Do you see a strong nation? Do you see this? And of course, the the ending is the person who has the last vote in, in a, a pretty fictionalized attempt to depict what actually happened in 1776 in Philadelphia. Comes out of the shadows. It was a play. And says, yes, I see. I see, Dr. Mr. Adams, I see. But I think that's as art is, as does so many times, it, it goes beyond the truth. It shows us something. Um, I I used to do a about 20 years of 4th of July speech at a, at a large family picnic that was quite well attended. And I would try to say that I thought this kind of gathering, families, nobody told them to go celebrate this country, doing it on their own and doing it in places like this. And I'd always think about Tens of thousands of gatherings like this, you know, from from Bangor to Hilo Beach, uh, doing the same thing. And I said, to me, as much as having the Boston Pops on the square and uh, the Tidal Basin in Washington, D.C., and there's nothing wrong with that, as much as that is July 4th, so is this. I think that would have kind of warmed their hearts that, yes, yes, somebody was there. Um what about, then, what about that lady? Who, I was going to go into that. Yeah, I was going to segue into that. That immediately, you know, the, the, the Romans had someone riding in the chariot with, for the, the triumphs. was speaking in your ear, you know, this too shall pass. Well, I, in my situation where I do know everybody, I get that a lot, just a lot. The sweet lady, wonderful lady. It sounds so sweet to me, but you're a generous man. You're a generous man. Okay. I'd grown up with her kids, been good friends with her youngest child, had not heard me before. Came up to me just beaming. It was twilight. I could almost see her face. And she grabs my hand and she goes, Mike Brown, until tonight, I never knew you had any sense. <laughs> and I said, I think I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What else we got, Kevin? I don't know. Um, I was wondering, what's the agriculture like around here? What kind of farming are they doing? It has changed. Uh, it was cotton for so long. Okay. Have you ever heard of, I don't know, you ever heard of George Sessions Perry, who was a writer? Uh, he's from, he was from Rockdale. We're on the National Book Award in 1940. A movie was made called The Southerner uh, about farming cotton in the San Gabriel bottomlands. It changed to other things. And now it's mo it's mostly corn. There's still some cotton grown, some, some milo, maize is grown, but it, it's still very agricultural. This is right on the edge of what's called the Blackland Prairie. And it's just, I mean, you spit on the ground and something grows. It's also really fun to get off your shoes when it rains, by the way. 
and and you can grow almost anything, but it's very very heavily agricultural. I mean, it, and I think it's. I love to drive out in in, in fields. I, I love the. Uh, you fly over and you see. I don't know if farmers get to see. I guess they do more now. The beauty they make. Uh, it's it's. Uh, of course, my father was grew up on a farm, so yeah, we're very heavily 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 agricultural here. What kind of farming did your father grow up with? It, it was hard. <laughs> You've heard of hard scrabble. Yes. <laughs> uh, my my father. That's back in the days when you had ten kids, so they could all work on the farm. Yeah. Uh, they'd wake my dad and his brothers and sisters up at at four o'clock in the in the summer, so they'd go out to the fields immediately. And he always said that in the winter they'd also wake up at four o'clock and they'd sit there and wait till the light and go out in the fields. So I'm, I'm not sure what they what they grew. It was in northwestern Arkansas. I'm sure there was some cotton involved. Yeah. A newspaper in life is better. Mike, you have such a sense of humor. Do, do you allow it to come out in the newspaper? Yes, uh, more more times than you would think. I, my sensibilities are comic. I, I don't. I, I can make a joke, and sometimes I do it to to deflate the situation and, and make it less serious. But lots of times I make jokes just for the heck of it. Um, are you aiming toward any particular joke? Or no? No. Okay. No. Just, <laughs> Unless you want to offer one. <laughs> yeah, I. I I studied some of the when you try to analyze comedy, it goes away, you know. But I, I studied mm. some of the some of the, the great comics, and I just appreciate the the way that they they crafted the language. Also, it leavens life. It it sure does. Danny Thomas used to say that that uh, laughter is the medicine compounded by the Lord to heal a heavy heart, mm. and I certainly see that. I'll, um, I I don't mind telling you. One of the lower points in my life, I was um, raising my son by myself, and I uh, let the laundry get away from me. And one Saturday night, I took my son to his his grandmother, and I did loads and loads of clothes and was folding them on the bed. And I was not watching television, and I looked, and a, a Carol Burnett show came on, and it was a just look back on on the, the Carol Burnett show. And for the next hour and a half, I laughed so hard. And, and I, she was at the, brilliant. At the end of it, I, if there's anybody I'd like to meet, I think it's Carol Burnett, just to tell her what she already knows, what a gift she had. And I thought, what a wonderful gift you had to make me laugh in that situation. Now, after it was over, I still had the same problems I always had. But boy, it sure felt good to laugh. And, and I think that's important. And if if my, my readers, all six of them, uh, hmm. Managed to see a particularly outrageous pun. Uh, I, I apologize for the the lack of, of subtlety, but I think that's kind of the way God made me. Your, your worst headline you've ever written in terms of puns and stuff? Oh, it wasn't bad at all. I think it won an award. It wasn't, it wasn't really a pun, but we had we had county agent, uh, a county agent named Truman Lamb who retired, and oh. his <laughs> his successor was named Joel Pig. And the headline read, Pig Replaces Lamb at County Agent. No kidding. <laughs> and if Lamb had been fired, you know, Lamb gets the chop. That's right. <laughs> Kevin was asking you earlier before we sat down for our, our podcast about favorite stories. And I'll use a modern word, my least favorite word, maybe an impactful story, crazy story, something you want to... So some le some legends you want to share with us at the end here? Legends. Take your pick. Okay. 
Well, I'll tell you the certainly impactful that we had uh, a school teacher, science teacher, who was stationed in Iraq for a year during the, the heights of the war. I mean, this is this is during the time when people were being beheaded, and that there were it was pretty tense time. And he got to come home after a year of that. And I got to cover him coming home. And I went to Fort Hood and went in the gym where there were people from all over the country gathered, waiting on the same thing. They were all waiting on the same thing. Their son, father, brother, wife, mother in some cases to come home after that year, which at any moment they could have gotten the call. And people do get those calls. And we were aware of it. And it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. There was motion there, but it was it didn't have any focus. It was just sheer emotion. And we waited and we waited and we waited and we said, well, they're here, they're here, they're here. And then suddenly all these soldiers marched into the gym and stood there and the smartest general I've ever encountered knew nobody wanted a speech. He said, whatever troop it was, dismissed. And suddenly it dissolved into the happiest hugs, tears, welcome home, I've ever seen in my life, and I was taking pictures, and the PR guy from Fort Hood was with me, and he looked down, and he said, yeah, that's okay, it affects me that way too, and I was weeping, and I didn't have any, I mean, I, I knew the, the teacher, great guy, I didn't have anybody there like those people did, but all that emotion had a focus, and I remember walking back to the car that night, and there were individual soldiers walking back that didn't have anybody men, women, and I wanted to just take them all in arms. And I wanted to say, somebody cares. And that impacted me, as you can tell. And I'm that's another thing I'd never gotten to experience had it not been for this job. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for them. Yeah. That wasn't too funny, was it? <laughs> it was still wonderful. Uh, okay, well, let me tell you something, y'all. This is a banner day for me because I'm sitting here with two of my favorite writers and favorite journalists in all of America. I'm with Kevin Williamson and Mike Brown in Rockdale, Texas at the Rockdale Reporter. Jane Nordlinger doing Q&A. Our producer in California is Scott Immergut. Our sponsor is Quip, the electric toothbrush at getquip.com slash QA. I thank you all so much. Until next time. Join the conversation.